Well, for some of you, you've already heard what you needed to hear today. You're dismissed. Like you're, <laughs> that was plenty for, man, what a, great, um, what a great message in parable and a word, just a great reminder as we're jumping into this conversation yet again um, about the, the struggle being real and that we really do face these challenges. It's so often the world is under the impression that we think we don't struggle with these things, and uh, which is wild to me that, that the world would in any way have that concept of us as Christ followers, that that we would have all this stuff together, because at the same time, what we're famous for is infighting. And so I don't know how you manage to believe two opposite things about the same population, but that can often happen. We are I'm certainly aware of the fact that one of the things that as Christians, as Christ followers, we face is conflict. And so once again, um, as we talked about struggle, as we talked about suffering, as we talked about trials um, last week, and, and how we engage with the how of doing that, we want to look at the how when it comes to conflict. And so um, uh, this is a, I, I would love to be able to pull punches from this sermon um, for my own sake, if no one else's. I would love to not have to apply some of this teaching um, the way that it's taught. Um, and, but I, I can't really do that because uh, as I teach through this, you're going to see how radical the nature of the teaching about conflict and conflict resolution is. In fact, it's going to uh, found out first service that it's going to take two weeks to do this because I still had a third of the sermon left when time ran out. So we'll be engaging with this some more next week as well. Um, when we decided a, months ago that we wanted to do this struggle is real conversation and we're looking at some of the things like conflict, like peace and anxiety um, and struggle, like, um, uh, I mean, and temptation, like the flesh, rest, um, some of these different conversations that we really struggle with so that Within the new years, hopefully sometime pretty soon, we will get to the book of Daniel, but really to connect with this conversation. And so um, recognizing <clears throat> these challenges there, as we look at the Apostle Paul's radical teaching on conflict and resolution, just know like the, the setting here is, is the book of Romans, which is really Paul's great theological treatise on, on really what theologically Christianity is. And so when you read through the book of Romans, the, the basic fundamental message of the gospel, of what Jesus Christ did, who we are in him, is what's played out. And when you get to Romans 12, Romans 12 begins with this radical understanding of us being living sacrifices, our bodies like living sacrifices. Now, we use the word sacrifice like, you know, because we're, you know, baseball, sacrifice, fly. You know, you got out, the other guy made a point, hey, that's awesome. No, no. When you're a Jew and you talk about sacrifice, what you're imagining is an animal being chained to the ground with a knife cutting all the way through its neck as it bleeds out. That's what sacrifice means. And so when you start a conversation by saying, hey, just remember, you're a living sacrifice. You know this conversation is going to be a hard one. It's going to be a tough conversation. And so then Paul begins to, to flesh out this idea of us being parts of a body, each of us frail, flawed members that come together and somehow under Christ's headship, there is a perfection, a completion that is created in that. That how you take a whole bunch of imperfect parts and put them together and create something that is perfect, that is complete, that is as it's intended, is a miracle. And so much of what we engage with, we engage with this conversation of conflict, when we engage this conversation of resolution and restoration, you're going to see, we're going to see how God is calling on us individually and as a community in some ways that really is, it transcends us. Um, forgiveness 
does not require two people. Um, reconciliation does. Um, you can forgive someone who's dead, but you can't reconcile with someone who's dead. It, it, there's a two-person here. And so what that means is it creates a sense of it's only partially within our control. This is not meant to temper the teaching um, in saying, hey, you know what, it's not your problem. No, no, the, the teaching is going to say you're always digging into what is your part in this. The natural tendency for us when we study something like this um, what we ought to be doing is saying, wow, how do I need to be more self-aware? How do I need to learn about myself? How do I need to grow and change and adjust? Our natural temptation is to say, man, I wish so-and-so had been here for this sermon. Man, I need to copy and paste it off the website and send that to them. Send that out to everybody. Everybody needs to, everybody around me who's got conflict with me, they need to learn how to restore from conflict. That's our natural temptation. And by the way, <laughs> I mean, yeah, that may be a real thing. The, the truth may be that you may have conflict with people who refuse to do their part in restoration, but we still have a part in that. All right, so let's jump into this starting here. Colossians 3.17 says, Whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through Him. Now, this is one of the first verses I ever memorized on my own. When I ran into this verse and thought, I, I mean, that kind of covers it, Right? I mean, that saved me a lot of trouble. I don't have to memorize all kinds of other verses because this one says, everything, word or deed, do it in the name of Jesus Christ. Well, that kind of covers everything. And so I'll memorize this one, and that'll kind of that'll help me out. Of course, we do this in our blessings. Of course, we do this in our victories, right? Of course, we give God the glory and we give Him thanks when things go well for us. Uh, in fact, there's a picture I always think of um, in regards to this idea of giving God the glory, is the idea of the sportsman pointing to heaven at some point. Now, something that's cool is that actually, as I understand it, I didn't get to hear this, but John Redfern was telling me that, that Tebow recently, in a, in a time of teaching on stage, talked about how important it is that we are giving God the glory when we get cut and when we don't succeed and when things don't go our way. So that's, and that's the point I was going to make. I would, give, I would give good money to be watching a football game and to see some quarterback go back for a pass and just get speared. I mean, just blindsided, flipped over in the air, the ball flies up, the other team grabs the ball and, and charges all the way down to the other end of the, the football field for the touchdown, the winning touchdown, and then as the quarterback is going off the field with his leg in a splint, he's going, <laughs> right? That's because it's not like God's only involved in, in the successes, it's not like God's only there for the victories. It's not like God's only there for the... God is there in the midst of the conflicts. Um, at first, I had written in the good relationships and in the bad relationships. But that's even not realistic. The truth is all relationships undulate. They go up and down with human beings. There, there are good times and bad times in every relationship. And for us to learn how to navigate that, to live this out... Um, and I, again, I get why. We don't, we don't, we don't want to somehow embarrass God with our failures. We don't want to somehow like make it sound like it's his fault that we messed up. But, but understanding that God is glorified in our even engaging with the failures. And God is glorified even in the way we deal with the, the times when we are hurt or we are damaged. Um, it's, it's right there in the midst of it. Now, part of why we can do this is because shockingly, and I'm not going to unpack this very much, but 
Once I saw this, I've never seen it through this lens. Once I saw this, I thought, this is a, this is a sermon in itself, at least one. Matthew 5.16 says, In this way, let your light shine before others, so that they may see your good works and give glory to your God, glory to your Father who is in heaven. Now, this is radical teaching. One of the main purposes of humanity is to give glory to God. And look at this. We have the power to inspire others to do that. We have the power to inspire other people to live according to who they actually are. That through the way we engage with things, other people could give glory to God in heaven. If, that doesn't, if that's not radical to you, then you're not hearing it the way I'm hearing it. The thought that we could inspire other people to worship to fulfill their purpose is shocking. Paul says it also, 1 Corinthians 10, 31, so whether you eat or drink, whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. Again, that what we're doing is pointing to Him. And the way we do it is pointing to Him. Well, ask yourself, what is more the miracle? When we point to God in the successes or when we point to God in the failures? Which is more likely to cause people to sit up and take notice in how we engage when things are going really well for us or how we engage when we are being persecuted? So this is a powerful picture. God God involves us in his victories. So we we have the opportunity and need to remember to involve him in in our failures, whatever word you would put there, in our shortcomings, in our mess-ups. Now, we'll talk about forgiveness sometime in the next few weeks, uh, again, more in detail. Um, but, but that's, that's a, and maybe even integrate that with our conversation of rest. I'm not even sure exactly how I want to play that out. But how do we handle the disappointment, the hurt, the betrayal, the disrespect? How do we engage with those? Conflict is an unavoidable consequence of a long-term relationship that you care about. I'm going to say that again. This is, this is what conflict, so conflict is an unavoidable consequence of a long-term relationship that you care about. The version of conflict that we're going to look at this morning is, is really the most extreme version. It is one that most of us will rarely, really experience very much in our lives. So everything that, that Paul is going to teach and Jesus is going to teach about this version of conflict should really easily apply to everything less than this. So in Romans 12, starting in verse 14, we get this. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse them. Now, as far as we know, the Apostle Paul never got to hear Jesus teach live on earth. Um, But he is quoting, maybe he did, but regardless, he is quoting Jesus' teaching here when he says this. Matthew 5 says this, but I urge you, this is Jesus teaching in the Sermon on the Mount, but I urge you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. So clearly Paul is paraphrasing this idea. Now, we use the word persecution now today to almost always only mean religious persecution. That's not what's being talked about here. That would fall under this. But the word persecute here, the root concept, is of being hunted. Is of having someone who's chasing you down, who's aggressively pursuing you, who has put you to flight, who's on you nonstop, harassing you, troubling you. That's the idea of persecution. So 
that's a pretty extreme thing. Most of us don't experience many relationships like that. Um, unless you're in a relationship with a, with a, a really um, a person with a personality disorder or a really just a pretty twisted person, this isn't a common thing. Now, you think it is because you're human. We all think we experience this all the time. Um, in fact, one of the funny things in marriage counseling is helping everybody know that everyone thinks, so when you're in marriage counseling, everyone thinks they're reacting to the other person, okay? That's true in family counseling. It's true out here. Like, you always think, I'm just rationally responding to the other person's craziness. What you don't know is that's what the other person thinks too. They think they're reacting rationally to your craziness. And so that's how conflict happens. What, here's what's wild is how often I will run into couples or people who are working through conflict and here's what they will, they'll say stuff like, um, he does that just to upset me. Okay, so it's possible. There are a few people out there who do that. But that's pretty rare. The thought that, and again, I'm not, this is not because I think people are so awesome. And that's not why I'm saying this. The idea that someone is sitting down strategically and trying to plan out how to mess up your life, it just implies that they're thinking about you probably more than they think about you, right? The truth is, we're not that intentional about anything, it's not this, so the idea that you have someone who's sitting there, you know, sipping their coffee in the morning going, how can I mess up her life? How can I mess his life up? You know what would really make you mad is if I said this. That'd be awesome. Perfect. I'm going to text that right now. Very few people do that, okay? Usually we're reacting. Now, again, a few, but very rare. Most of the time what it is is people just thinking they're doing the right thing or they're reacting or they're justified in what they're saying and they're doing. That's what they think. Now, again, you may be experiencing persecution, and, and they may be hounding you. That's probably the, the, a good word there. People who are hounding you, harassing you, who are on you constantly. But most people are too self-absorbed to seek to hurt you intentionally. Again, that's not a nice thing about the human race. We're just too kind of pathetic and lazy to actually intentionally hurt each other. But it does happen. And it certainly happens as a lashing that when we're in a conflict, we'll lash out and say things and do things that, that hurt the other person. And maybe in that moment, but, don't, but think about this, you always think you're on the defensive right? Everybody's always being the defensive person. No one's ever the offender. That's, that's because we, that's how we portray ourselves. And part of what you're going to have to look at in this passage is to really dig deep and figure out, okay, where am I in this? What's really going on here? And the natural temptation is look outside. Again, some of you are already doing it. You're like, man, I hope so-and-so is hearing this. Stop. Okay. So listen, and the word blessed here. Is, is, means to speak well of somebody, to pray for them, to praise them. It's actually where we get the word eulogize. So if you can imagine, the Apostle Paul here is saying, hey, you know the people who are really, really out to get you? You need to think kindly of them. You need to speak kindly of them. Hey, you know the people who are, who are really, really kind of hunting you down? They dog you constantly? You need to think of the nice things you can say. Jesus is saying, pray for them. And, and I don't think he means like, God, get them, which I, I think is probably how we want to, you know. I will say there is one place where the apostle Paul is being persecuted by somebody, and he does pray, God, return to them as they have done to me. Okay, like that's, <laughs> maybe Paul needs to go back and read Romans 12 again. But the, this, you get it. Like you, isn't it interesting, by the way, what a fascinating prayer like, because if they're nice to me, then the, hey, do nice things to them. And anyway, it's a, it's a funny one. But looking at this, look at this next phrase. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. Now, he specifically, you, you're like, oh, that's sweet. Yeah, we can do that. Yeah, this isn't a standalone verse. It's connected to the other one. 
Notice, our temptation is that when we're in conflict with somebody is that we weep when they rejoice. We rejoice when they weep. That's, that's the temptation for us is to say, you know what, this person who's hurting me, man, I hope they hurt. And when they hurt, I'll secretly chuckle about it, right? Now, listen, as a human being, of course you're doing that. We're going to talk about the flesh one week more in detail, but this is one aspect of the flesh. There's a weakened, a weakened, broken part in us that, of course, wants other people to fail, sometimes just in the same way we fail. Um, it's, it's a, uh, I'm trying to remember the exact language. I had a friend years ago who, who his definition of success, um, success, it isn't, it isn't sufficient that I succeed, but that my friends also fail. Like that's, that's a version of success. He, he had, that's how he had defined success. And, and there's a broken part in us that has that. It, it just is there. It's the fallen, broken, competitive. Um, it's not just enough for me to succeed. I have to succeed at the expense of others thing that goes on in us. That's there. If you live by that, then, then that's going to be a hard, horrible predator-prey life that you've got ahead of you. But we all wrestle with those thoughts, especially when there's someone who persecutes us. Listen, listen to the verse 16. Live in harmony with one another. Now, John and Lori could not have created a more perfect and a beautiful representation of this teaching a second ago as they, as they harmonized with that song together. And, and hopefully you caught, the first service really kind of picked up on the undertones of John saying how much he appreciates that Lori worked so hard to sing in harmony with him. Like, I think that's more than just about singing, right? To learn to live out, <laughs> yeah, amen, right? To live in harmony with one another, that, does, that doesn't come naturally. It requires a miracle. It requires God to do something, which again, I want you to catch something, is the point. The point here is, in what Paul's teaching here, and what he's going to continue to teach as we get into next week, is this. When we, when we talk about living a radical Christian life, you kind of automatically, you may go, yeah, people who like sell everything and, and go work with the untouchable people in, in India. Like that's a radical Christian experience. The truth is, and, and certainly, yes, that's true. Also, the truth is that when we deal with conflict with one another in an open and graceful way, when we learn, when we are changed by the work of the Holy Spirit in us, that is a miracle and everyone knows it. It's a miracle we all get to see. We all get to experience when we humble ourselves. Our spouses get to see a miracle in us. Our children get to see a miracle in us. And they know it's not us. They know to point the glory to God in that situation. That's, that's not just us. We don't do that kind of stuff on our own very well at all, if at all. So how am I supposed to harmonize with someone who persecutes me? How am I supposed to live in harmony with someone who I think is out to get me? This idea of, of unity versus uniformity is the beauty of harmony. We may not be uniform, and we don't seek uniformity, but unity means we're fighting for the same end. So if I'm in conflict with somebody, I said, I said at first service, so if Ginger and I were in conflict and I'm trying to be right, I'm trying to prove me right, that's this goal, and she's trying to prove herself right, that's this goal, we will not have harmony because we're not, we're not trying to create the same song here. Does that make sense? 
But if we say, listen, we are, we are in conflict, but what we're seeking is restoration. We're not going to get there the exact same way because we're having different experiences. But when that's both our goal, we can sing, though we're singing different tones, they can be in harmony because it's serving one purpose. When our marriage is meant to be a living parable of God's love for His people, even though we're different people, that marriage can create harmony that people see and they know harmony isn't natural. They know harmony isn't natural, and so they know there must be something supernatural going on when they see this. You've heard me say so many times, and I really do think, we don't, we don't lose kids when they go off to college because of, of the opportunities to do bad stuff in college or liberal professors or whatever primarily. I think it's primarily because we, we failed to create a proper vision of the faith in our marriages and in our homes. And it isn't about being perfect. Let me tell you, I, there, I'm not, I won't go into this. I could ask. But if I asked about what are some of the most important things you ever saw your parents do, if I said apologize to you as a child when they got it wrong or apologize to each other when they got it wrong, you would say that's a highlight. It is such a big deal for a child when a parent comes in and says, well, you know what, you were wrong, but so was I. I blew it here. And a child knows a parent doesn't have to do that. So when they do, it's a big deal. It stands out. And that's the kind of thing we're talking about here. How do we look in at ourselves? How do we engage with that? They know that's not normal. Jesus made this point abundantly clear. So he said, he said in Matthew 5, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. But here's how that continues. So that you may be sons of your Father who is in heaven. For he makes the sun rise on the evil and on the good and sends rain on the just and the unjust. For if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? Don't even tax collectors do that? If you greet only your brothers, what more are you doing than others? Don't even Gentiles do that? Here's what he's saying. Listen, uh, even terrorists like their best friend, right? Adolf Hitler got along with a couple of people. I mean, everybody can get along with somebody. The question is, can you get along with, can you learn to love people who aren't very lovable to you, who don't agree with you, who aren't on the same page with you? That's miraculous. That reveals that you're a son of God or a daughter of God, if you're able to live that out, when you're able to grow and change and engage, that's a revelation. Even just the effort. Again, as I said, you may be in a relationship with someone who you cannot make this happen. You cannot restore the relationship because they absolutely refuse. They absolutely refuse to grow. They absolutely, whatever, that doesn't mean there's not still room for you to continue to grow and learn. And that is a, that is a miracle when people see it. See, it's because that's how he does it. So we, we think of rain as a bad thing, but in the Middle East, both the sun shining and the rain falling are a blessing. These are both blessings that God would say, listen, I do it that way. I give blessings to evil people, and I give blessings to good people. I give rain to the just, and I give rain to the unjust, and I'm calling upon you to do it the way I do it, so that you can not only bless those who bless you, but you can bless those who persecute you. You can not only pray for those who you like, but you can pray for those who hate you. Remember the image that we looked at in John over and over again is that God loves the world. And the world hates him. And it doesn't affect the fact that he loves the world. He's bigger than that. 
And that's what he calls us to. Can we love people, even those who persecute us? So back to Romans 12, how do you miss this? How do you, how do you miss it? You do it by being haughty. Romans 12 says, don't be haughty. Don't have such a high opinion of yourself. But associate with the lowly. Never be wise in your own sight. In the Greek, that says, never be wise in your own sight. Okay? It never. Don't do it. There's a lot of extreme language in this. Never be wise. Seek humility. Paul talked about humility in detail a couple of weeks ago. Go back and download it and listen to it if you haven't, if you haven't heard that. Um, this is, this is God, only God can really humble us. And he, people know that and they see that when we have the self-awareness. So I think of wisdom. Wisdom as, as seeing as God sees. That's what it means to be wise. It's to see the way God sees. If you see things, if you understand things, as you get things the way God gets them, then you're going to be wise. No matter how old you are, no matter what your experience is, if you see as God sees, you're wise. Humility is to see yourself as God sees you. Humility is wisdom applied to your own identity. How do I see myself? Who, do I see me as God sees me? Do I have the correct picture of myself? I think that's a great understanding of humility. And when we are humble, when we aren't haughty, when we don't think we're wise, is this wild, by the way? Live in harmony. Don't be haughty. Don't be wise in your own sight. I mean, was, do you think God was giving Paul like a vision of social media when he wrote this? Now, can you imagine this verse being lived out in social media? I mean, they might as well just shut it down, right? I mean, what would be the purpose of social media if we were not being wise in our own sight? We talk about in our family sometimes how amazing it is to see that people's certainty is in no way affected by their ignorance. Like that's a, they are, they are wise in their own sight, man. And certainly, the, and, and by the way, we do the same thing, right? How do we not do that? So I'm going to give you an example of a conflict that was now, I don't know, 20 years ago. I don't know if Ginger will even remember this. That stands out to me because it happened twice. So the first one, again, it was a long time ago. I think we were driving to Grand Am, which tells you how long ago that was. So um, and so we're, we're driving, we'd gone out to eat with some friends and, and we were driving back to our apartment and man, it had been a great evening. I mean, it had been an awesome evening. I was kind of on cloud nine, right? I was kind of pinging a little bit, a little, a little high from how awesome the extrovert experience was that night and, and driving back. And I said something to Ginger and, and her response indicated that she had not had the same experience I had that evening. Um, icicles forming on the inside of the windshield was probably have indicated that too, right? Like it was not good. And I was like, what, what is up? Why, why aren't you, why didn't you have a good time? Like, what's going on? And she said, you totally blocked me out tonight. Like, you ignored me. You, you dismissed me. You didn't involve me in the conversation. You just kind of turned it into your little gathering and, and, and just taught. And I, I just thought, man, she doesn't know me at all. Now, you're laughing because you're like, you didn't know about that about yourself? <laughs> I did not. And so, so but... I'm like, wait, what? Like, this is, this is terrible. How dare she? I mean, I think she's the most wonderful person, most fascinating person. I would never do that. How dare she claim that I believe she's not this or she's not that? And, and I'm all defensive and all frustrated, and she's mad at me because I, I spent the whole night ignoring her and, and not involving her and being the, like the spotlight of attention and, and all this stuff. And, and so it's, we, it, was a, it was a bad conflict, and, and we had a hard time resolving it because... Um, because I, was, I felt so unjustly um, attacked and persecuted, and she felt so ignored and so unloved, and, and it, it took us a while to recover from that one. And so I, I really kind of had to chew on that. And so I went to some friends at some point and was kind of like, hey, you won't believe what we had a conflict about, and, and here's what Ginger said I did. And the problem was all of them said, 
I mean, I can see you doing that. <laughs> I was like, what? I would never do that. You know how I feel about her, and I think she's awesome or whatever. They're like, yeah, but you kind of do that. I mean, you kind of, you know, become the center of attention, right? I mean, <laughs> right? And so... And so, like, yeah, you do kind of, and, and, and they're like, they weren't being negative. They were like, it's not that that's a bad thing necessarily. I mean, everybody puts you in that position, too. Like, they start asking you questions, and you're answering questions. And the next thing you know, Chris is having a little rabbinical gathering, and, and he's sharing with everybody his wisdom. And so that's, and I'm like, wow. So that's an that's a issue, right? And so a few weeks later, a few months later, I mean, we had worked through it. And then a few months later, it happened again that we come back from a, of an event like that, and, and I had, you know, that first time I'm going, it just, I mean, I, I think I said something that first time, like, it just didn't happen. The way you're describing it just didn't happen. And you know, that was, and it was awesome. Like, that went so well. So, um, at, at the first service, I said that first, and the whole room just got quiet. There's like, <gasps> and so it was, here's, so it happens again, and Ginger's like, you did it again. I can't believe, I mean, you, we talked about it, and we get there, and you did it again. And this time, because through my friends and through her, God had revealed to me, yeah, this is something that's, that is like me. That is something I do. It is a temptation that I have. It is a tendency that I have. And I was able to say, and she, I mean, I know she took a chance to throw it out there again. That was gutsy on her part to say, this didn't go well last time, but this is a real problem. And so I love you enough to throw it out there again. This is a problem. And this time, instead of getting this negative, defensive you know, how dare you, you don't appreciate me, how come, what type of response, these both stand out to me because they, I mean, they, because the, the fact that they happened twice like this, and this time I remember the sense of truly peace that f- just washed over me, and I said, you're right, I'm sure I, d- I don't remember doing it, I have no memory of doing it, um, and I would never do it on purpose, but I have absolutely no doubt I did it, that is so me, that is totally me, I bet I did exactly that. And so we need to figure out, like from now on, when we sit down with friends, I sit here and you sit inside of the table towards me so that you're right. When I turn and face the crowd, you're right there with me and I don't end up putting you behind my shoulder and like, we'll figure that out. But I was, yeah, I had no intention of hurting you in that way, but I did. I believe you. I totally believe you that I did. I just tell you, that was a totally different conflict. Still conflict. Totally different this time because I think God had humbled me to see, yeah, guess what? And this, by the way, is how conflict happens, especially in long-term relationships. If you've not caught on to the fact that if you've been married 20 years and there's only like four things you fight about, but you fight about those four things all the time, if you've not caught on to that yet, like, yeah, get used to that. Because that's, of course, that's the case. Of course, the 90 things that, that go so well between the two of you, of course, you don't have fights about those. This happens in friendships, it happens with teenagers, it happens with children. Of course, that's the case. These same conflicts that happens with friends, you're going to have these repetitive conflicts with this because they're the same person and so are you. And so, so Ginger can say, hey, remember focusing on undivided attention, that's important to me. And I'm not very good at that. Anyone who knows me well knows I'm not very good at that. And so I have to go, oh, man. She, she could say, how come this, you know how important this is to me and, and you forget this. Are you mean or are you just stupid? Like she could come at this from any different way she would want to. Or she could say, hey, remember this is important to me. And I can go, what is it with you in this one thing? Right? How come you don't appreciate all these other things that I do? How come it's always this? You're always harping on it. Or I can say, yeah, that sounds like me. I'll bet I have totally forgotten to do that. I will try to do better. Now, what's going to happen? I'm going to do better for a little while. And then my natural tendencies, I get tired, I get bored, I get sick, I get 
lonely, I get angry, I get what, and I will just kind of naturally, like all humans do, drift back into what comes naturally to us. And I will forget again, and I'll start getting distracted again, and I won't focus undivided attention. And she can either, in, whether that's two weeks or two months or two years later, she can either say, what is it with Or she can say, hey, remember this is important to me. And again, I can get defensive, or I can be humble enough. Both of us cannot see ourselves wise in our own eyes enough to say, hey, you know what? This doesn't have to be a big deal. It's just a thing. Yeah, you're right. And it is amazing. That is absolutely how it can work, and that is, I think, following this. The other option is, verse 17, you can repay evil for evil. You could just keep hammering back and forth at each other. Oh yeah, you hurt me? Well, I'm going to hurt you. Oh yeah, well, you hurt me? I'm going to hurt you. Because remember, everybody thinks they're reacting. Everybody thinks that's what they're doing versus saying, here's how I blew it. So, or you can repay one, no one evil for evil, even someone who's persecuting you. And we're talking about the application in a loving relationship. Give thought to what is honorable in the sight of all Look at Paul's words there. Wow. The way we have conflict with those around us, even those who persecute us, is going to be a testimony to all. This is a powerful testimony to everyone who sees it or who hears it or who just knows that it happens. As we continue to engage with this type of stuff and we work through this, that's a big deal. We care about their reputation. Our reputation testifies to something. Um, the, uh, the habit years ago, the people used to have a, a fish on the back of their car. And then, and then they would, I had friends who would say like, no, I, I drive really terribly. I'm a horrible driver. I'm an angry driver. So I don't have a fish on the back of my car. And I was always like, I think you're solving the wrong problem. Like, I don't, I don't think that's how you're supposed to solve that one. Verse 18, if possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Again, that extreme language, live peaceably with all. This is a testimony you want people to see how you engage with conflict and give glory to God. This is a, that you seek to live peaceably. It may not be possible for you. Paul acknowledges that. To the degree it depends on you, though, and you growing and you changing. This isn't peace faking. Paul is not a people pleaser. Don't misunderstand that. He's not just being avoidant. He's not being a coward. This is someone who engages in conflict on a regular basis, the apostle Paul does, but he does it lovingly. The example we get in Galatians 2 when Paul confronts Peter, here you have a situation where the apostle Peter, it tells us Cephas came to Antioch. I opposed him to his face. That's Peter, Cephas, um, because he stood condemned. Can you imagine? So what had happened is Peter had been eating with everybody, and then a bunch of Jews show up, and now Peter will only eat with the Jews. He won't eat the Gentile Christians all of a sudden while these Jews are here. So Paul goes to him and says, hey, you're out of line. Can you imagine doing that to Peter? This is the apostle Peter. This is the stone upon which the church is being built. His confession, this is who walked on water. This is who, who proclaimed Jesus for who he is. By the way, and can you imagine Peter's response to this? What could have happened here? This is a testimony to us that the, essentially the two pillars upon which the Christian faith has grown, founded on Jesus Christ, that it has stood on these two pillars, Paul and Peter, and they went toe-to-toe -to -toe over something. And you could totally imagine Peter, Paul comes up to Peter and says, hey, you're eating with everybody now that these Jews are here. You're only eating with the Jews. What's up with that? Could, wouldn't it have been so easy for Peter to go haughty, arrogant? Do you know who I am? Who are you? You're not even one of the twelve. I mean, you got added in later by some so-called vision, right, on the road. I mean, he could have so easily been 
so arrogant with Paul and gone toe-to-toe. And yet the implication here is that Peter probably said, wow, you're right. I blew this one. I mean, that shows Peter? Who is that? That's a miracle that someone with the temperament of Peter would respond humbly to being confronted like this. And yet apparently he did. And that Paul would be willing to go to him and say, hey, I think you're out of line here. This seems wrong to me. That is, what a great example to us of what this can look like. What it can look like when they're learning. Now, we have the decision to make. I'm going to wrap up here. This is the midst of the decision that we're making. Is it, what, what do we do with this? We'll jump into it next week a little more, but just you need to know, Jesus is going to tell those of us who have been wronged, that you realize, I think I've been on the receiving end of this persecution or just conflict. I've been wronged. Jesus is going to say, you need to go to that person. And conversely, if you're the one who's done the wronging, if you realize, wow, I was out of line here, I was wrong, then Jesus is going to say, you need to go to that other person. No surprise, Jesus is going to lay the responsibility on us no matter which person we are in the conflict. He's going to call us to step up. That's a miracle. When we're able to do that, it is a miracle. It may go really badly, but that's a miracle. We're going to talk more, unpack more how Jesus taught how to do that next time. Um, so as we're, I'm going to go ahead and have everybody stand, if you will. And we'll pray together. And during this time of invitation, in a moment when we're singing, um, you may have business to do here. The Holy Spirit may be working on you. Um, certainly, I think that's appropriate. So you may go, I need to come up here and pray, or I need to bring a spouse or a friend. I may need to go get someone else in the, somewhere else in the room. Maybe you're intentionally sitting on the opposite side of the room from somebody so that you don't have to deal with this stuff. Maybe you need to go ahead and come pray. I don't know. Maybe where you are, whatever that is, to pray with them. Because you know maybe you've done them wrong or you feel wronged by them. Uh, maybe that's something that needs to happen. I don't know. Whatever it is, whatever the Spirit is leading you. Also, if, uh, if you've been through the Welcome Home team and you're ready to come and join the church during this time when we sing here in a moment would be the time to come forward. So let's pray um, as God leads us. Father, I thank you for the power of your word. I pray, Lord, that you would help us to, to diligently try to love those, even those who we believe have treated us badly. Lord, I pray that you would help us to do a good job praying for them. God, this is radical teaching. It's not fair. This teaching is not fair. Um, what you call us to, it is extraordinary and it is miraculous. And we don't even know how to live it out half the time. So Lord, I pray as we try, as we struggle, and we don't even know. God, I know there are people in the room who face conflicts of all different kinds. Some of which must, must really feel like there's no hope for success. And maybe there isn't. But Lord, in you, we can learn and we can grow and we can change. That we can do our best to play the role that you've called us to. That's really tough and we know it. And Lord, I pray you'd help us to continue to learn and grow. And Lord, I pray this, you, your spirit will work in us to this end in your son's name. Amen.